Hello, and thank you for listening to Let the Right Films In, a podcast about the IMDb 250, except for when it's not, because <laughs> it kind of sucks sometimes. This is our year-end series. Oh, uh, wait, I just want to interject. The IMDb sucks sometimes, not our podcast. Oh, yeah. No, we're <laughs> perfect. We don't make mistakes, and we never are late with our jokes. Or uh, imply that the podcast is bad. <laughs> never. Not once. Uh, this is our year-end series in which we, your hosts, Kayla, who spoke, Lauren, who has not spoken yet. Uh, hi. <laughs> and I talk about movies we liked. You're hearing my voice introing the podcast because this is my segment in which I get to clear out and talk about my favorite movies. Finally, because I never get a chance to talk on this podcast. <sighs> my first movie. It's a little one I've been crowing about all year because it's great and I love it. And if it weren't for Get Out, it might be my favorite of the year. It is Raw. Uh, the French movie by Julia Ducourneau. She's a French director, and this is her first movie. So much like Get Out, we're just getting stupidly good and great horror movies from first-time directors, well, first-time feature directors this year. Raw is the story of a young vegetarian girl who is going off to veterinary school, joining her big sister, except she gets a taste for flesh, and the cravings just won't go away. People. She eats people. Well, she doesn't eat people. That's not quite accurate. But she wants to eat people. Anyway, this movie uh, was hyped for quite a while before coming out because it made people vomit and leave the theater and just generally made them feel bad. I saw all of that stuff and thought, I do not want to see anything else in my life more than I want to see this. This sounds like the greatest thing that's ever happened. And indeed, it was one of the greatest things that's ever happened. So Raw ends up being the story, uh, a story of desire and sisterhood. I did not know about the sisterhood element, but that ends up being maybe the strongest element of it, her relationship with her sister and uh, certain uh, tastes for flesh. And maybe more than anything else, this movie has one of the most surprising endings I have seen this year. Uh, It, this movie swings for it with its final five seconds, I'd say. And I know it turned some people off from a movie they were otherwise into, but I thought it was fucking incredible. So much so that I think that was the first swear word we dropped. Probably not. No, I think I dropped an F-bomb. I feel like I've said fuck many a time. Never mind. That's the 12th fuck we've said. (laughs) We always say that. Fuck, fuck, fuckity fuck. Uh, Can you bleep those and post? That would be really good. (laughs) Like, uh, fuck limit reached. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really sad that I haven't seen this movie yet. It's, well, Kayla, you know what? There is a certain streaming service you can watch this on. It's Netflix, and they don't sponsor this podcast. So <laughs> we just talk about them all the time. I know this is another one. Like I was saying before, this is another one of those movies that I have to be in a mood for. And also, do, do you know how hard it is to make Ben watch a French horror movie about a cannibal in which many animals are? It takes place at a veterinary school, yeah, so the animals just, don't all make it out. I really, 
you do get to see someone with their arm all the way up a horse's butt having a conversation like their arm isn't all the way up a horse's butt. I think I've seen that in another movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm actually. <laughs> but like, I'm so clearly uh, the mind for some reason. Man, the ending is really good, and that there is another scene when she first discovers her taste for flesh, which. I don't like. I don't think it's actually symphony music, but in my memory, it is like symphonic and glorious. And she's like, "I understand now what my thirst has been for." And you're like, "Wait a minute, this should not feel good." Ah, uh, but uh, but it it is it is a gross movie, but not in the ways I expected. It is not just her going on feasting dinners of human flesh all the time. The craving for flesh she has, like, evidences herself physically. She's itchy. She has rashes. She has, like, these skin problems that pop up. Oh, She's my pining. God. Yeah, no, it's... No, I just... Oh, my God, that's what's wrong with me. <laughs> you need to eat people. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry, I have... That's, I uh... need to go. I am afraid. <laughs> so, just for clarification, I have, like, re- like pretty bad, like, eczema flare-ups in my eyelids and my hands and stuff. So... Just had a pretty interesting revelation about myself, <laughs> and yeah, and it's it's and it's in those ways more so that 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 it can be gross. It is gross in ways that are more interesting and less obvious than you might expect. Of oh, it's a cannibal movie. Oh, and to what Kayla mentioned on her episode talking about Logan Lucky uh, and who the we thought the writer was. This movie uh, directed by Ducournau. Uh, is very obviously directed by a woman in good ways because there are many shots of her like in bed writhing around wearing just like a t-shirt and underwear and just and uh the way she relates with her sisters both in the conversations they have and the way their bodies are portrayed uh it is in ways that could so easily be leering even with the best intent if filmed by uh a male director who just doesn't you know doesn't have the experience of being a woman to do that and it, it's just so obviously directed by a woman in the best ways and it is felt it is gross and it is hard to watch and which is why it is very i I will never say you have to watch this movie because i understand why you can't watch the movie but oh it is just so good (laughs) and just so refreshing and so thoughtful and is an example of how fucking good horror can be which is a fight. If you listen to this podcast, you know we are always fighting. <laughs> for respectability for one of our greatest genres. The greatest genre. But yeah, that's Raw. No streaming on a Netflix near you. God, I can't wait to see what she does next. I realized my first movie, you know, got, is pretty dark. You got cannibals and animals and a lot of bo- gross body stuff. So I thought I'd lighten things up with uh, the crime drama Good Time which is one of the most tense, depressing things I saw all year. I gotta come clean with you about something. What? So I told you about my brother, yeah? I told you about the program he's forced to attend and how he shouldn't be there. Don't count your chickens before they hatch. Do you understand that? No. Something happened, I don't know exactly what. My brother's been arrested. He's being held at Rikers Island. You could get killed in there. Oh, this is the Robert Pattinson one. Yes, yeah. Interesting. I saw Good Time around the same time I saw Dunkirk, I'm pretty sure. And those are actually weirdly appropriate, like a weirdly appropriate, like would-be double feature. Those are on a similar vein in that 
obviously they have structure, their acts and all that, but both are very visceral, complete experiences that never let up until the big finale or maybe not even a big finale, but until the movie's over and it just kind of, it just keeps winding up and winding up and you're just sitting there like, Oh, I am being contorted and my body hurts and my brain hurts. Good Time is the movie by Josh and Benny Safdie, starring Robert Pattinson and one of the Safdies as his mentally challenged brother. And uh, basically the plot of the movie is Pattinson convinces his mentally challenged brother to go on a robbery because they need money. The brother is smashes through a window pane trying to escape and gets caught and is taken to a hospital, and Pattinson's trying to figure out how to get him. He can't pay bail, uh, he, and he, so the whole movie is him trying to get money to pay bail over the course of the night because he's so worried about his brother and the trouble that he specifically got his brother into. The whole movie is just his journey throughout the night, tearing through town trying to get this money, kind of uh, taking out a bunch of people with him and ruining lives along the way. And it, uh, it's hard to speak to because it is just, uh, as I said, a very draining movie of Pattinson by the skin of his teeth, biting and clawing to do all these things. And you realize, like, at a certain point, you realize, like, he's going through, like, these poor neighborhoods and, like, not literally killing people. People get caught up in his schemes to try to get money, and he drags them along the way, even unintentionally. And just, that, and that's the thing. He's trying to do the right thing. And because he's charging forward so strongly and uh, cares only about his brother is leaving this trail of destruction in his wake, uh, which makes it sound like a much bigger and louder movie than it is. But it is it is really an incredible piece of filmmaking and the way it keeps up the, the suspense throughout. And Pattinson, I've, I've been on the Pattinson train for a while because he picks really interesting directors to do projects with and is actually a really good actor. Like he and Kristen Stewart both uh, do not deserve the reputations they got after Twilight because they're actually very interesting actors who want to make uh, creative and daring things, um, which I feel like we're all on the same page about now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he's so good in this and not even speaking a lot of the time, just portraying the, uh, the desperation throughout. And uh, yeah, it's just an impressive movie with an incredible soundtrack by one of my favorite uh, artists, One O Tricks Point Never, who even got Iggy Pop to collaborate on a song for the end. That is just, you could just listen to that song, The the Pure and the Damned, which is actually like, wow, that basically describes the movie, The Pure and the Damned. Whoa, I know, the right? Soundtrack does it's that. almost like it plays that exact <laughs> song over the credits to really slam that point home. Uh, Swish. But it is, you could just. You could just listen to that song and kind of get the feeling of the movie, which is just, wow, this life is beautiful, but also full of sorrow and pain and suffering. <laughs> Especially you got Iggy Pops, like that voice has been through a lot and it's just singing this little ballad. And Yeah, it's a very striking movie that is also very difficult to watch, but you should if you get a chance. I'm and you're not we- going to believe this, Caleb, but who do you think put out this daring movie oh gosh could it be a24 oh you've heard of them (laughs) (laughs) so that means it'll be streaming on amazon sooner like sooner or later so 
yet another movie you need to be in the right mindset to check out. But if you're in that mindset, you should check it Tyler's out. Tyler's just really going for the Christmas spirit. Oh, in absolutely. The worst way. The also, Christmas spirit. The guys who directed this movie and another, like Heaven Knows What, which is like a depressing drug movie, I'm pretty sure, are remaking 48 Hours, which is such a bizarre pick for a remake. I love it. I've also never seen 48 Hours. <laughs> but. Oh, yeah. you know, yeah, you know, I don't think I have either. This is what happens when I pick three movies that neither of you have seen. I just monologue for five <laughs> minutes, and then I stop. Like, Any questions, class? <laughs> I would like to know where the times good. I was kidding. <laughs> times were not good. <laughs> is what I'm getting. You know, this- hard times. Please insert clip of Paramore Hard Times when I say that. Hard times. Hard times. <laughs> All right, Tyler, what is your third movie? Well, I realize less depressing, please. <laughs> I re- realize I've been a little heavy with my choices, although I think they both explore important themes of, you know, humanity and how we relate with other people. And so now I'm going to talk about a movie that teaches us how to relate with a super pig. <laughs> it's Okja. We needed a miracle. And then we got one. This beautiful and special little creature will be a revolution in the livestock industry. Our super pigs will not only be big and beautiful, they will also leave a minimal footprint on the environment, consume less feed, and produce less excretions. And most importantly, they need to taste fucking good. Explain. (laughs) (laughs) Okja is the Netflix blockbuster, question mark, by Bong Joon-ho. It is very difficult to describe uh, because Bong Joon-ho is the the Korean filmmaker who is very daring, very big with his premises, and also is full of tonal shifts throughout his movies. Uh, They are always wild rides, including when they are literal wild rides, like Snowpiercer's train or like riding a super pig. He's a super pig. He's so good. Ah, So Okja is about a movie where a giant conglomeration uh, to sell their meat puts a happy face on it and says, oh, we have these cute little super pigs and they're good for the environment. And when they grow up, they... All that you get all this meat and they barely poop. That's like actually a thing because Bong Joon Ho is kind of a gross sense of humor sometimes. But basically, they send out 10 super pigs to be raised by farmers throughout the world as part of their PR stunt. It is a very long term PR stunt. And 10 years later, they find the best super pig and put it on parade. And uh, that's what leads our good pal Okja, super pig, and BFF of, uh, of the young girl at the middle of the movie or who's uh, stars in this movie, who is incredible and is, I don't know, seven years old at the most. Uh, she and Okja are best friends and Jake Gyllenhaal, uh, really, really going for it. Like a loony Steve Irwin in short shorts in the greatest picture I've ever seen. And what should have been my Halloween costume comes and takes Okja away. And, uh, our, our protagonist is not mad about it or is not happy with that and goes on a long journey to get Okja back. This involves incredible chase sequences on a, with Okja loaded onto a semi. Paul Dano shows up as part of the Animal Liberation Front to maybe help uh, 
our, our young hero in Okja escape. And it leads to them getting taken to, I think, America, New York. There's so much that happens in this movie that even trying to say all the stuff that goes on is very difficult. Uh, this movie looks incredible. The super pig is very prominent on screen throughout, doing dashing deeds of charging through malls, saving her best friend. Uh, it, I don't know how they... like. This the super pig in this movie is more impressive than like most of the blockbuster things I see because it isn't just big action clashing on screen. It is this character, this giant pig that is interacting with human beings and the environment around it. And it is one of the most stunning works of uh, effects in movies that I've seen. Um, it just like they very early on, this uh she Okja becomes a very real character and you are desperately worried for her safety. Uh and man, that gets really, really worrisome. Uh there's so much that happens in this movie. I don't even know where to go. It deals with uh meat production and how gross it is. It deals with friendships and family and trying to do the right thing and failing. Uh there are so many elements of this movie and wild tonal shifts from beautiful touching emotional moments to the most despondent you will feel all year watching a movie <laughs> which is saying something given what i saw because in the end okja is a pig raised to become dinner and i am not saying whether she becomes dinner or not but we might see other we might see other creatures in the process of becoming dinner and in that sense i think it might feature even more animal violence than raw which takes place in a veterinary school so beware yeah yeah that's <laughs> a couple different trigger warnings uh like it's just it is hilarious it's upsetting it is thrilling throughout um and in the end i don't know that it all comes together but it is so incredible in its different parts that i am on board for all of it including whatever the hell jake gyllenhaal is doing <laughs> Always support my son, Jake Gyllenhaal, doing whatever it is he feels like doing. I've shown you the photo, right? Yeah, I just looked it up, actually. Oh, I just Googled so it. It is good. very good. Lauren, you should Google Jake Gyllenhaal Okja because it's beautiful. Oh. I actually know how to spell Gyllenhaal now. I'm really happy about that. Excellent. <laughs> oh, God. Why does he look like that? <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what his publicist said, too. <laughs> she was probably like, Jake, we talked oh. about this. Oh man, until the swing is this in this like this whole movie is a giant swing for the fences, and I think it works. Uh, but it is a truly bizarre thing that exists in the world, and I don't know that it could exist without the funding of Netflix. Uh, so thank you, Netflix. <laughs> this yeah. is the sexiest Jake Gyllenhaal has looked since Nightcrawler. Disagree. <laughs> He's gorgeous. I love him, and I would do anything to protect him. Then there's Paul Dano with his just, like, sad human eyes. This movie has so much heart and also knows so well how to stomp on your heart. It's really upsetting. Anyways, you should watch. So that has been my collection of three easy, comfortable, happy watches uh, Tyler doesn't care about any of us and he wants us all to be sad. I wish I could better explain Okja, but I think a mess 
of an explanation is really almost like performance art displaying Okja and how it actually exists. (laughs) Anyways, those were my movies. Make sure to check out our other episodes, of which there are legion, or four, maybe. Uh, After this, you will hear many of our guests talking about movies they loved this year. Please listen to them and check out their work. Uh, All of their work is in the notes, and many of them do great podcasts and writing or just existing in the world, and you should support them because they're good at those things, especially existing in the world. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next year. Hey. This is Tyler. Sitting with me is my co-host, Kayla St. Ange. Hey. And joining us today is Addison Peacock. Hi. Addison. <laughs> I don't know. No, that works. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Addison, thanks so much for joining us. This is your first time on the podcast, and you've brought one of my favorite movies of the year to talk about. I wanted to tell us what that movie is and why you chose it. Oh, man. Okay, so my favorite movie of the entirety of 2017 uh, is Get Out, Jordan Peele's debut horror film. And I brought it because it's, and I'm, um, it sounds like I'm speaking hyperbolically. I do wholeheartedly mean this. It is one of the best horror films of at least the last decade, if not longer. I'm very much on board with yeah, that. Yeah, I agree. It's <laughs> honestly, it's unbelievable that it's his first movie that he's directed because it is. Like one of the most accomplished horror and tightest, like most tightly written horror movies I've seen this year. And that is not fair. (laughs) It's so smart. I mean, to give the guy some credit, he's been writing and producing comedy for ages. And it's not as if the genres aren't linked, which people don't really think about. But I think horror and comedy line up very well, which is why horror comedy is a genre that exists. But Uh, if not a genre that's difficult to execute well. But I think they both are genres that are really reliant on shock and surprise, but not like you don't want to lean on that in a lazy way, but more that's what makes them great is if you're able to surprise your audience. Laughter is the sound of surprise and terror is also the result of surprise. It all lines up. You get it. Um. (laughs) And both genres that I think are underrated uh, in terms of how difficult people think they are. uh, Oh, absolutely. Also, 
even when something is really good, it doesn't always get a great reaction because it specifically, I mean, is built to defy our expectations. And sometimes that upsets people. Mm -hmm. And I would also say that, honestly, I think the best horror movies have that element of comedy or even maybe not outright comedy, but at least like a brief moment of levity somewhere in there so that it's not just flat out misery and torture the to entire appreciate time. how preposterous these uh circumstances are mm-hmm. yeah you need some respite or you can't you can't keep hammering your audience with misery over and over and over again for two straight hours or they're going to tune out or even just it's going to lose its impact that's the thing is i think comedy makes horror more effective like the sequences with rod and get out or make the whole movie more effective because you get this little respite this little like oh here's this funny guy being funny and then we're back to a world where everything is terrifying and nothing makes sense. And then that impact is much more intense. It kind of gives you that whiplash and pulls you back into that world. And it's like, oh, did you think you were going to get to be comfortable? No, that's not where, what this movie is. But it forces think to you to let your guard down for a little bit, which just makes exactly. all the more upsetting and damaging. Yeah, and I it think happens. it also serves, especially in this case, to make maybe some of the detractors kind of eat, like ease into that lull and then suddenly you know, end up being very uncomfortable again with the twist that the plot has taken. And Oh, absolutely. Man, it was so, like, this is talking around the movie instead of about the movie, but it's so satisfying <laughs> how well this movie did uh, because it is probably my favorite movie of the year still. Even, I saw it way back in February, and I've seen so much since, but it's still my favorite of the year. And to have it be, the in terms of percentages, I think the most successful movie full stop of the year is very satisfying and i hope he just gets blank checks to do whatever he wants to do next because Mm -hmm. i am very curious to see well he's going to be involved in the new twilight zone series that's in the works which is thrilling uh and i know he's mentioned he wants to write another like a, a series like a long line of films kind of existing in the same world as get out kind of mixing horror with comedy with so extremely uh poignant social commentary I I feel bad as if I am sort of talking around the movie, but it's also something I'm afraid to talk too in depth about the specifics of the movie because while it's not something I would market to someone as having like a big crazy twist ending, it is something that has a lot of twists and turns and strange directions the plot goes in that I don't like to ruin for people who, if you've gotten this far and haven't seen it yet, mm-hmm. haven't seen, you know? I actually just watched the movie for the first time a couple of days ago and it was a pleasant, the the big, big, big twist at the very end. I was pleasantly surprised that I somehow got this far into the year and didn't know about that because from, I mean, just from like the trailers and like the Twitter memes, it was one of those movies that like I really wanted to watch, but you kind of have to be in the mood for. And Mm -hmm. every time there's a movie that's like that, I usually, it takes me like two years to watch it because I'm always waiting for the perfect moment. And um, yeah, so I was just, really like to was just a hugely what the fuck moment of just like I could not under like I mean I could understand but at the same time it was just like that is not where I thought this was going this is not what I thought this was at all and that's 10 times worse than I thought it was so and in my experience it's a film that's very fun to watch with other people. I have seen this movie now Mm -hmm. uh since it came out I've seen it five times and never once have I seen it alone and I saw it in theaters twice and I have rented it three times since and I should probably just go ahead and buy it at this point because I keep paying to keep paying to watch Get Out. I need to just buy a copy of it. But 
it's so rewatchable too. Uh, it is even when you know what's coming, it is so satisfying in every way. Oh well, that's the thing about it, um, and that's what I came in telling myself I was going to bring up first, and then got distracted just being excited. But one of my favorite <laughs> things in the entire world is uh, movies that are not just rewatchable, but are different on every viewing. And I think Get Out is a very good example of a movie that is different with every single viewing. It's, um, I, it's 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 the same way I like to watch movies like Fight Club that do have like a build up to a very intense twist. But Get Out, instead of having one very big intense twist, has about eight different little ones that are just kind of sprinkled through. So when you go back and watch it, there's so much to find, and it's not even really that hidden. It's more just elements that take on a completely different color. And I've been told. By multiple people and I've done this is every time you watch Get Out you should pick a different character and just pay attention to what they're doing pick a different character that isn't Chris because of course when you watch it the first time he's the protagonist he's where all your attention is so every time you watch Get Out after that is you watch you pay attention to Chris obviously but watch pick a character particularly a character in the family and watch them in every single scene even when they're not talking watch them in the background watch what they're doing because you will see things that you did not notice that inform things that come up again later in the film. And I found that to be the case with my subsequent viewings. And it's very cool and very fun. I'm super excited to rewatch it just because I felt, I feel like with a lot of movies, but especially this movie, the first time you watch something can be a huge roller coaster to where you're just kind of like Mm -hmm. pulled forward by the plot momentum. So yeah, I definitely would love to go through and just kind of try and pick everything. Because even when I was reading through like the IMDb trivia, which is my pet, favorite thing to do with every movie I watch but um (laughs) there were so many things where they were like well you know this was this and this was because of this and I just would have never caught that (laughs) there's a lot of really cool visual metaphor in get out as well that's fun to look for but and this may or may not constitute a spoiler I don't think it is because I'm not saying anything that happens in the plot but next time you watch it Kayla I want you to do me a favor and I want you to watch Rose in every single scene she's in I want you to watch her that was honestly. Even if she's not talking, as, I want you to. As soon as you said that, I was like, "That's my first pick for who I gotta pay attention to." She's such a fascinating character. And God, I haven't even gotten to my favorite thing about this film yet, aside from Jordan Peele's amazing work, obviously, which is the acting. And God, if Allison Williams doesn't knock it out of the freaking park, and Daniel Kaluuya as well, as he's an actor, I've been obsessed with his work since I saw him in his episode of Black Mirror. He did uh, 15 Million Merits. And I remember watching that and thinking, oh, my God, who is this guy? And then I saw the trailer for Get Out and I thought, this guy looks familiar. Who is this guy? Because he is playing an American character. I didn't even recognize him. Mm-hmm. I hope he doesn't like dis- not disappear for two years, but I hope he gets another uh, giant platform. This wasn't even a giant platform initially, but like. I want to see him be a great lead in things because he is two mm-hmm. for two in the things I've seen him in fo- so far. So I hope we don't have to wait to get that chance again. He's possibly one of the best actors I've seen in the last, I don't even know how long. Like there are Oscar winning actors I do not think are as good as this guy. I I get a little pretentious with it because I am studying acting. That's what my degree is in. That's what I do. And Watching his performance is one of my favorite things in the entire world because something that really bothers me, and I know we're running close to out of time, but something that really bothers me when I see it in actors is when I feel like, especially in comedy and in horror, a lot of actors will push really hard for a result. They're like, this is what the genre wants me to do, and I will do my best to approximate it, and hopefully, eventually, it'll look real, and it'll come together, and it'll be fine. When Daniel Kaluuya is being Chris, even in the most intense moments and the most, like, 
kind of suspension of disbelief kind of moments, the like really wild off the wall stuff. There's not an ounce of tension is in his performance, in his character and in like his actual physical body. Yes, but he is not pushing for anything. It comes out of this incredibly organic place and it's fascinating to watch. You cannot stop looking at him. Mm-hmm. I am obsessed with him. He's one of my favorite actors <laughs> that I think is working right now. Um, awesome. And I totally agree. <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about Get Out. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Maybe, I mean, at some point, this this is actually, I think, the least spoilery episode we've, like, section of an episode we've yeah. ever done. We normally spoil the shit out of everything. So if at some point you want to come back on and we'll do, like, a full deep dive episode, that is not I would love that. Yeah. So I would can, absolutely love that. We can get all of us that. together and do it. So. Because I so deeply don't want to spoil this movie for people who haven't seen it yet that I, I didn't want to do it in this particular thing, but I would... I would absolutely love to just dive deep into the actual details of the story and the things that make the social commentary so brilliant and just the way Jordan Peele is coming for every single aspect of racism, both personal and institutionalized in a single... Ah, it's all so smart. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. There's so much to gush over. <laughs> so, if There's you could, so much. If you could take uh, your concise like final thought on Get Out before for the end of the year, what would it be? I think it's the closest thing modern audiences will have seen to a perfectly executed film. Beautiful. And that's that's what I think. Perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Addison, thanks so much for joining us. We hope to have you on again soon in the new year, which is not just a thing. It's very exciting. (laughs) This has been great. Uh, Thank you for having me. Yes. And uh, why don't you tell the good people where they can find your work elsewhere? Because you also have a podcast. I do also have a podcast. Uh, I am the co-host of a show called The Cryptid Keeper. I co-host that with my best friend, Alex. And it is a show about folklore and cryptozoology, but not in a very serious way. That's pretty much the best way to explain it. It's not like we're not jokes on jokes on jokes, but it's not an academic podcast is the way I would phrase that. Um, You can find that on iTunes and Stitcher and Twitter and all the various things. It's Again, it's The Cryptid Keeper. It's a pun on the Crypt Keeper, which people don't tend to get at first. And then I tell them and they're like, oh, okay. Um, I'm also on the No Sleep podcast, which you may or may not have heard if you've ever looked at Reddit ever in your whole life. <laughs> and then uh, I also am a writer for The Horror Honeys and Belladonna Horror Mag, which is um, a website and print magazine about women in horror and horror film and TV reviews and video game reviews and all that good stuff. So that's all the different places on the internet where I go. Excellent. And we will have all those links in the show notes. Uh, Amazing. I look forward to listening to the Santa Claus episode. Save it the other day. <gasps> oh, it was Excited. one of our favorites. That was absolutely one of my favorites we've done. Alex really went above and beyond with her research on that one. <laughs> I cannot wait. I should listen to that tonight. Mm-hmm. And then also <laughs> just a quick tie in. Also, uh, Lauren did a guest spot on the Cryptid Keeper. So if y'all want your. She did two. Of, oh, two. Oh my gosh. Okay. I've only listened to the El Chupacabra she's, one. <laughs> yes. She's on our El Chupacabra episode. And then when she was actually physically in town, she joined us on our episode on uh, Trolls. All right. So if you want your maximum LTRFI Cryptid Keeper crossovers, <laughs> that's where you got to go. <laughs> yes. yes. She's also, if you're a Patreon donor, she's also a we did a bonus episode for just donors only about uh, the evil clown sightings in 2016 um, that she was on. So that sounds- just a lot of Lauren content over there on the Cryptic Keeper. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Seriously.
All right, and sitting with me now is filmmaker Michael R. Garcia. Michael, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is your first time with us, and in this first time, you get to tell us about one of your... You get to. We are very pleased to have you tell us about one of your favorite 2017 <laughs> movies. What movie did you pick? So I had, uh, when I asked this, a lot of... I had a few movies that I really loved. Um, I really loved Coco. really loved Blade Runner 2049. Um, I mean, there's a, a lot of really rad stuff came out this year. So uh, but the the one to me that stood up it's not particularly i don't think it's the best by any means but i think it is my favorite uh it's the one that i have seen more times in theater this year than any other is uh the killing of a sacred deer i gotta say uh i haven't seen it yet unfortunately i've been trying and trying and just haven't quite gotten to it i'm fixing it basically right after we record today but having seen your ghost's other work having seen people's reactions to this that i so many props to you for sitting through this multiple times. <laughs> yeah. It seems yeah, like a tough uh, sit. It is. So um, when I saw it the the first time, it felt like a four and a half hour movie. Um, it was so, it is so dark and so brooding and so bizarre. Um, I mean, all of his work is bizarre, but specifically uh, that this seemed to take it to a whole nother level. Um, and, as I as I saw it more a few more times, um, it, it started to feel like a regular. I believe the movie's about two hours, and it started to kind of feel that way. Um, do you, you know what it's about, or vaguely? I, I have I mean, a vague idea of what it's about. That Colin Farrell is a doctor, and uh, I believe someone dies under mysterious circumstances or possible wrongful circumstances. Uh, am I already off base, or am I still no? Nope. Right you're, yeah, you're dead on. So, so, uh, so Colin Farrell is a doctor. He's a surgeon, um, a heart surgeon, I believe it is, or maybe it's just a surgeon. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, he's a surgeon and you, uh, he's a surgeon. Somebody dies under on his table. Um, and all this crazy shit starts happening to his family. Um, and then it winds up being that he, he established a relationship with, uh, the, the man who died, while he was operating on him, he established a relationship with his son uh, and his son sort of serves as like this, not Greek God, but he basically puts a curse on him and his family that makes it so his kids will, well, actually everybody in his family is two kids and his wife will first lose uh, the ability to use their legs. And then they lack the desire to eat. And then they bleed from their eyes and then they die. Oh my God. I cannot. I am so glad. I, have the, I cannot wait to watch this because I didn't know what to expect. I did not expect that. Yeah. So, um, and it's, and it's then revealed uh, in this, that he has to make the, the kid whose mannerisms are some of the most fucked mannerisms I've seen on film. Um, he says that it can all end when Colin Farrell picks one of his family members to kill like eye for an eye. This is justice. Or he says, it, as he says it in the film, his, his, there's a scene where Colin Farrell's wife, who is the fucking wonderful Nicole Kidman comes, comes to his house and is talking to, he's a, he's a child. He's like, he's like supposed to be like a teenage kid comes to his house to figure out why is he, menacing their family in this crazy because they've all accepted that this is the reality and 
he says it as this is the closest thing that he could figure out to justice. And they never explain how, why, whatever, which is perfect because that'd be stupid. Yeah, and she, so he has to pick someone to kill to, to end this whole thing. So if someone stumbled upon this without seeing the movie, we put like spoiler, like I basically let people know at the top that spoilers are possible. Uh, and I have just been like, I have allowed myself to be spoiled on this too. But part of the reason I think it's okay to be spoiled on a Yorgos Lanthimos, Lanthimos movie is because even with the surprises that they always have in store, so much of the is in the actual experiencing of, of them in the moment, the visuals, uh, the weird uh, dialogue that he usually has the uh, does this have any of the dry humor of the lobster to it or is it just the bleakness of the lobster um so i i love his work i think it's phenomenal so sorry to go to go back to your statement on is this like if somebody i just i just said the plot uh that matters zero um the it's like for like it already sounds insane yes. <laughs> so it doesn't really matter uh and i didn't say the ending but uh but yeah um it's it's all about the experience the way that it's shot it's so insane everything feels like there's this weird like like it's so cool like these there there's these crazy shots of uh Colin Farrell walking through the hospital and it feels like you're in the way the camera it's basically like on a dolly well seemingly a dolly has like a little floaty handheld and it's like 10 feet behind him and like five feet above his head looking down. And it just feels like a, like a wraith, like kind of flowing through the hospital with him as if it's like, you know, this kid's father or whatever. Like that's what, that's what it sort of feels like. Um, and it's just shot so insane. The dialogue is really uncomfortable that you're constantly trying to like read between the lines and see what's up. Um, and, and really try to figure out what is happening. And there's a couple moments in this. And I feel like every time or it, in, how I feel is that, that whenever there's a dry humor part, there is an incredibly awful thing that follows. It's, it's like, yeah, there's a little chuckle and it doesn't even let you like rest on that chuckle to, to, to sort of give yourself some breathing room. It's just instant. There, there's a specific scene that I'm thinking of in my head where, uh, his, his son, who's the first one who loses, um, the, the feelings in his legs, uh, He's because they don't believe him. They're just saying like, why can't you walk? Yeah. Just walk. And he's like, no, I can't walk. Um, and Colin Farrell is such like a, like in this, he's a, he's a doctor. He's a scientist. He's a man of reason. So he's like, this is bullshit. You can walk. There's nothing showing up in these CAT scans. So let's go for a walk. And so it's like kind of funny watching this kid, like, oh, like plop around. And then it gets so fucked and awful. And like to the point where the first time it was happening, I had, I, it's just talking and my hands are in my face just to get away from looking at the screen because it's so awful. Like there are, and, and, and it's, and this isn't even like a specific time. This happens so much in this movie. His work causes me to cringe like nothing else and makes it feel like my soul is leaving my body multiple times as I watch it. And I can't wait to get that feeling again. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really great. I mean, I, I, I obviously wanted it as I kept seeing it. Um, I think uh, Nicole Kidman, her her mannerisms and her acting is phenomenal. I mean, so is Colin Farrell's. Everybody's as. Um, but that kid, like Barry Kogan, is I think you pronounce his name, uh, or Kogan. Do not have the IMDb uh, page pulled up right now, unfortunately. Yeah, he's the the kid who plays Martin. Um, he's just insane. He is so good in this movie and even from like a filmmaking standpoint like he does or for sorry not like a filmmaking standpoint but as far as like 
like bookending the movie, he does so much cool stuff. Um, again, to not try to ruin it so much, but uh, he definitely he definitely pulls influences from you know very like classic Yorgos, where it's like these awful, extremely awkward close-ups of like food mm-hmm. um, and and weird other things to kind of focus on. The and I didn't even mention this, but the soundtrack is crazy like so often it feels like an opera Mm -hmm. and the music is so almost overbearing like i remember the first time i saw it that the seats in the theater and it wasn't like some old janky theater were rattling so long for like a minute during a specific scene as as the music crescendos up and it's just it just adds to the stress i'm just like fuck man can this be over oh man but that uh yeah it's it's so cool it's and stylistically it is just it is dripping with style it is fucking cool i'm just like nodding furiously for the past two minutes as you talk about this these are like all the reasons i was so excited to see this movie i know i'm so sorry that i ruined no, it for no, you <laughs> this is not ruined like i do not think that like i do not think yorgos's work can be ruined by what happens because his imagery really is can't. his imagery is such that even if you know exactly like a figure of the lobster, even if I knew the last frame of the lobster, I yeah it, like the context that it's in in the movie really cements it into my brain as like one of the most haunting things I've ever seen. Uh, oh, you you won't be disappointed yeah, here. Most of those <laughs> images come from like you know impressionable moments in childhood when you see certain movies, but he's one of those ones that can make like impressionable moments even as an adult as i'm tearing through all these other movies his stick out for the images they have and even if i don't think they're like the best movie of the year as you said uh i think i think his movies will always be a favorite like, i think i'll love his work even if i don't like the movie just because he's he has such a specific style and he's so good at creating the dread intention that i love in horror movies yeah and he goes for it he like goes for it yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't yeah. know if he's ever held back at any point in his filmmaking career. No, and if he has, no, and it's so cool. It's so cool. Ah, uh, well, that well, that does bring us right up to ten or eleven minutes. So I'm gonna go. Uh, hopefully, watch that and not sleep for several days. Uh, yeah, you have to. It'll just you'll just you'll reflect on a lot of choice. It's it's a very human movie. Um, so yeah, you'll do, you'll do some reflecting for that, sure. That's what brings so much horror to his movies is even despite Absolutely. the surrealness of it, they are deeply human at their core and that's what makes them so unsettling. And again, makes my soul want to leave my body. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No matter how hard, how far fetched it is, it's just, okay, put yourself in your position, you know, or in that position. That's what I'm at. So Michael, as I said at the beginning, you are a filmmaker. Where can we find your work? Yeah. Uh, all of my, well, most of my work, uh, Phil, uh, music videos, short films, and documentaries are uh, viewable at widowbrothers.com. Excellent. We will go there. I will, of course, have a link in the show notes and share that as part of the reason we do this is to share movies we love and the people who love them. Uh, but thanks for joining awesome. us, and I hope we could have you on again in the new year. You know, let's not this, let this be yeah. just a one-off thing. That'd be awesome. Thanks so much.
And I am now sitting with not one, but two people. One of those people is our co-host, one of my co-hosts, our newest co-host, Lauren Malisi. Hello, hello, hello. And joining us today is Lauren's friend, Madison Hellman. And this is where I step back and you two have a movie you'd like to talk about because you saw it together. And I'm guessing, since you picked it, I'm assuming you're a fan. So Madison, Lauren, please tell me and all of our listeners about my friend Dahmer. All right. Um, so Madison and I attended. Uh, Madison, please say hello to, to the. Oh, hi. oh, that's true. I didn't. Pause. <laughs> <laughs> my bad. I'm Madison, and my cat Eloise might also talk a little bit during this, so I apologize for that. Well, that's that's Cats perfectly... are always welcome on this podcast. Okay, <laughs> we are pro cat here at Let the Right Films In. Excellent. Um, but yeah, we went and saw my friend Dahmer. Uh, Lauren, you got us those tickets, which was awesome. One of your my, murdering friends. Yeah, Liz. My, my, my murderino friend that I met on a, like, a random flight coming back from New York. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. it's cool. I didn't really... So basically, if you don't already know, beautiful people listening at home, my friend Dahmer is based on a graphic novel by an artist named Durf, Back Durf. And so he went... Uh, just our school and dropped out uh, in Pittsburgh. And so there was a special um, two night like screening and Q&A in Pittsburgh. And so that's what we attended. And it was pretty fucking awesome. It really was. And I read that Lauren also let me borrow the graphic novel. Um, so that was interesting to be able to read the novel after having seen the film, which as a lit book person, is not usually the way I do things. But I thought both were really good see i yeah i thought it was a really good adaptation i was i was honestly surprised at how much they added yeah um, well i guess like quote-unquote hollywood um there's i mean and there's no women in in the book there's just uh jeff's mom uh we're gonna call him we're gonna call jeffrey Dahmer jeff for the purpose (laughs) of this segment because that is that is what he is called throughout the book and throughout the movie so right now jeffrey Dahmer, our favorite cannibal is he's he's just jeff right now <laughs> As he was for those who knew and loved him. <laughs> but no, and I thought, I mean, I don't know about you, and I don't know if this is really the point of this, but I thought it was like a really interesting balance um, of like a coming of age movie, but because it's about Jeffrey Dahmer, it's probably one of the creepiest things I've ever watched without any like jump scare in it. Yes, that that is absolutely how, yeah, it, it is a coming of age horror. Yes, I would definitely describe it. Yeah, that yeah, and that's kind of what makes it so like creepy. They paced it really well, um, I think. And like, the, I mean, the book is the book is just perfect in its pacing and in its timeline. But I just think that like how the just the starting with just like the him you know collecting like you know like dead animal with like bones and stuff, and then him escalating to his first murder, and like the way they the way they really paced that, especially in the film, was just so 
like once the once the credits rolled to black and it was like it was like uh the hitchhiker or the hitchhiker yeah the guy he picked up on the way back from the concert was never seen again i was like uh like i already knew that but it was so much more like it was so it was so how was how was that just so much more fucked up like in the movie like the way they the way they well because they you like at so many points in the movie you forget that it is about a man that will later go on to like dismember and eat people and keep their biceps in the freezer um and you're just like oh this is an awkward like high school movie um the genre we all know and love but it's uh definitely with our friend jeff yeah with our friend jeff yeah Yeah. you and you feel really really bad for him throughout the film so i i have not seen the movie so it sounds like uh what it basically is so it's an adaptation it's and basically like the creation of jeffrey dahmer is that what it is like it's how it's how he became who he is no so uh durf Bachter, he went to high school with jeffrey dahmer and him and so durf and all his close friends called themselves the dahmer fan club and they they loved how weird um dahmer was in high school and they would like do all these elaborate pranks like in like the mall and the school and all these things and um so it's basically like Durf's friendship like with Dahmer and like Dahmer through Durf's eyes and like what like Durf kind of knew about his like family and so so it's not it's so it's sort of how he became the way he is but it's 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 not just focused on Dahmer it's kind of like this friendship and like these kids in relation to him so like more of the story of what it was like to be friends with uh the guy who went on to become Jeffrey Dahmer yes and then you do get the glimpse of his home life and how his parents were absent how the everyone everyone was pretty much absent teachers everybody um so it's a mix of both it's just not solely on like how he became all of the movie does give us more of how um he became the way he is and then the book just gives us a little bit more of like like the friendship or aspect or lack or lack thereof it's like a good mix of both if that makes sense is that a good way of explaining it madison no definitely i mean like in the movie you sort of catch these glimpses, um, particularly when he, there's a part where as in any good, like high school film, he's asking a girl to prom and you kind of see him like cut on the, I'm a sociopath or psychopath, whichever name you want to put on it. And like, I remember I like, I think I grabbed your arm because it just, (laughs) because you're like, Oh my God, like this is the way he's going to con people into his apartment later so he can eat them. Yeah. Uh, practicing at prom as one does yeah he was really convincing and really just like he knew how to get what he wanted and exactly what to say and he wasn't bad looking at all no he was just weird yeah yeah i'm not super into like really gory things and it it wasn't particularly gory at all except for a few instances so i also really liked that about it Mm -hmm. Um, but it's all kind of scary in a psychological sense Yes, I, I, that's, that's what makes me, like, that's, yeah, with all horror, all aspects of horror, any kind of movie, like, the, it's, it's the realistic horror that always gets me. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it, it, what, really, what really unsettled me about that movie, like, it just, it, I guess, like, the absence of everything, like, where, where, no one cared about him, and he was just left alone in that house. 
Um, and like, and, and he, and he was, he had so many things he was dealing with on his own and he was, he was frustrated and he was finding all these different ways to like take out like this anger. And like, he had, he had these weird, like, like he, he, since he was like a child, he knew he wanted to just kill someone. And instead of telling anyone, he's just alone in the house, just either, or in the woods, just like, just like with beating like trees, like with baseball bats or like other things like his coping mechanisms were so fucked to me and the fact that there was no one there or no one around him was also so fucked to me it's it's like everyone around him just kind of let it happen yeah yeah yeah. and the part two i think that was horrifying in terms of what you're talking about in terms of just the absence was how messed up he would show up to school Mm -hmm. like as someone and same for you lauren that teaches like can you imagine if a kid came in like like drunk uh, fuck no like that drunk yeah that no i i and the fact that like they could smell it on him and they look from far away and stuff and like none of it and then the movie like none of the teachers like really like say anything they're like oh, okay you're late and it's just like and then dearth in the movie he's like can you smell that like yeah. they're not even sitting that close to him um and then and in the book it's like it's the same deal like it just yeah like how do you show like that every day and no one says anything i would you and i would be immediately concerned and then we have to we'd have to do a whole thing get our supervisor involved yeah and it's just you know it's as much as i I think anything with someone who is and becomes a serial killer is an individual failing that movie really emphasized that it was a societal failing as well yes um everybody let him down yeah and 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 Durf also like he explicitly say, says at certain points in the book like just so you know like i i stopped feeling bad for him after he commits his first murder um that's yeah. where all the sympathy goes away and I, th- and I think that's the big shock of the movie too is you feel bad for him right up until the screen goes to black and it says that the guy was never seen again yeah it was handled really i thought that particularly like cut to black was handled really well too because kind of jolts you out of the kind of cozy world you've been in yeah the oh like he was an outcast and all you know yeah i absolutely um i i do i like the stuff i wasn't crazy about everything they added in the film um, no yeah like like the i didn't think the doctor scene was necessary no that and that was weird uh-huh. i didn't like it I don't have anything intelligent to say other than there, there were other I said there was there were other better ways of explicitly stating that he was gay and like the father was also very homophobic in nature they could have you know put that in the film as, as well and even Durf at the Q&A said he doesn't know why that they didn't they didn't do that well they tried to fix it by having the kid that was bullied for being gay yeah but he was he was he was also was kind of like there and then sort of like dropped I feel like it was definitely like a ploy kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah i i do like the addition of like the last scene which like dirk called like hollywood magic um the when like he's like leaving the house and then like Dahmer like raises the baseball bat oh yes <laughs> you heard the whole audience like kind of like audibly like gasp um i thought that was a good like good addition to because in reality it's like it wasn't dirk it was one of the other like Dahmer fan club members who saw him walking when he had come back to visit or something and saw yeah. him walking along the side of the road and then went over the house and, and, and in real, in real life, the, um, the, uh, the hitchhiker had already been killed and was just, his body was chilling in the house while they were having a beer. Which is like so much of a premonition of, of how many times the police would like walk in on him where he, someone had escaped or someone had been called and he, you know, had the 
person just rotten in the bedroom next door. He got away with it every single time. Everything he did. Yeah. And I, you know, I, it's funny. I wasn't sure about Ross Lynch's casting when I first heard it, but he was actually kind of perfect. Yes. I, the, the way he walked and his mannerisms, I almost feel bad for the actor for having to spend that long in Jeffrey Dahmer's head. And, and in the actual house where he actually lived and yeah. actually killed someone. Yeah. And um, and what's his name? Nat, Nat, it's Nat Alex. Alex Wolf did an incredible job as Durf. I thought he was extremely strong. Um, his character, I think, yeah. I mean, he stood out among like everyone else. I mean, he was kind of sort of the protagonist, but I thought he did a really, really great job, especially his facial expressions and like when they're doing the pranks and him kind of realizing like you know this isn't fun anymore. Yeah, well, and him kind of growing up, growing out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, the casting, I thought, yeah, it was very well cast. Um, but I, 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 I watched Ross Lynch when he was on Austin Alley. I met him at like a meet and greet when he was still on Disney Channel. Um, I, I just, so I don't know, he's always been kind of like looked at as like the very, like the pretty boy. So I'm really glad that like he got an opportunity to kind of like do this kind of super dark role. Um, so, and which makes me excited now for Zach Efron as uh, Ted Bundy. Oh, God. That's going to be... I just I, This doesn't translate over audio, but I just like stared off into the distance <laughs> for a while after you said that. Yeah, that, that's going to... That's gonna, now, now I'm like, yep, it works. It all works. It all makes sense. It's funny. Uh, so I'm reading up on the movie as you're going through these things, and it just synced up very nicely with as you're ta- talking about the people cast. I'm like, oh, he used to work on a Disney thing. I read on the Wikipedia page as you're going through it. Um, this sounds just like the most unsettling thing to watch. And I'm, I love, I love watching unsettling things, but the reality of it. And uh, so it sounds like it does get into like actual horror elements because it get like it gets into when he actually started killing. Uh, I guess I'm curious, you've touched on it, but like what the tone of the movie itself is and how it plays out. Is it just the suspense of the viewer knowing who the person on screen is that carries most of it or does it kind of start to ramp ramp up and crescendo like the way uh i don't know a tense horror film might uh madison what would you say i would say i mean i kept finding myself forgetting what movie i was in yeah so i mean it did a really good job of like sort of lulling you into this is just a regular, like, mundane movie. And I think that that was part of what was unsettling about it when you would kind of remember, like, oh, no, I'm sitting in a movie theater watching my friend Dahmer. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to it kind of being constantly present. And I think that that's sort of, to go off a little bit, I think that's sort of what's so fascinating in a lot of cases about true crime is the sort of how mundane the everyday of it is. Uh-huh. Um, I think they did a really good job of capturing it. Like it really could be the guy you sit next to in whatever class. Yeah. And there was enough comic relief to where it felt like a dark comedy. Um, like a dark comedy about like a kid who doesn't fit in. And like you do, you do forget um, a lot. Like I was, I would say, I would say for a, a good, there's a good part. Like I, a good, a good chunk of time in the movie where I kind of forgot what I was watching. And then they're kind of like, Oh yeah, no, 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 this isn't a dark comedy. He's going to, he's actually going to, he's fantasizing about killing that person. Right. Okay. Right, 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 right. That's where we are at. Okay. 
Yeah. Like you'd get like you'd get comfortable and then you'd get then you'd get like slapped in the face, then you get comfortable again, and then you get slapped in the face. Pretty much. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right. Well, we are getting close to time. Do you two have any final thoughts on my friend Dahmer? Madison, do you? I thought it was really great. I would recommend that anyone who's interested in true crime, even more than horror, maybe go see it. I don't know how many people are going to get to see it in a theater, which I think was its own particularly horrifying, to use that word again, experience. Yeah. I think it's still limited release, I think. So... My 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 final thoughts are all right. Go go. Okay, this is this this is what I did in the sequence of what I did. So I listened to like the three or four part um, Jeffrey Dahmer like uh, series like on last podcast on the left. They did an incredible. I think it's I think it's four parts on Jeffrey Dahmer. And then I read My Friend Dahmer, and then I watched the movie. Uh, so going into the book, having like read like because the podcast was ex- extremely well researched, because that's kind of what they're known for. Like going into, I went into the book thinking I knew everything and that nothing could shock me, and then I was shocked and like kind of cried a little bit, and then the movie. Uh, <laughs> that that is what I recommend, <laughs> including the crying a little bit at different at different points. From yes, just just a little, just a teeny tiny bit, not too much. <laughs> But small tears, gentle tears, exactly. Gentle tears. This kind of reminds me of when I watched the sacrament, which is not uh, the Ty West movie, which is not technically uh, biographical in any way, but is based on uh, like cult, like cults that, that ended mass suicide and how I watched it and kind of came away. Like it didn't, I don't know if I'd call this a horror film. It was just horrifying and I feel bad. Uh, Yeah. That's, that's how Dom will make you feel. Excellent. Well, mm-hmm. Madison, thank you so much for joining joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Sitting with me now is a good friend and a past podcast guest, which is a refrain that either already is familiar to listeners or soon will be. Now it is Kyle Minton. Hi, Kyle. Hello. I'm here ready to talk about the latest season of Mr. Robot. I'm so glad you had me on here. You know, we can't talk about this now, but I've heard the new season of Mr. Robot is really good and I need to actually watch it when life is slower. But today you, you are talking about a movie from 2017. And what movie is that? Uh, the beloved franchise uh, entry, Alien Covenant. Oh, yes. I believe that's the one that had the perfect rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Like the best reviewed movie, right? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very, yeah, very beloved. Definitely no one shrugging their arms and going, another one? So some people really didn't like Alien Covenant. 
Uh, I did like it. You clearly like it. Why do you like Alien Covenant, Kyle? Explain yourself. Yeah, I guess I I think it's important to give context that uh, my first Alien movie was Prometheus, (laughs) which is an interesting place to start. Like, even though it's is like you know like watching Star Wars at like Phantom Menace, like you'd go in there going like, what is this fresh hell? What is this nonsense? So when I first watched it, I just didn't have any context, and I was like, oh, it's like a really gorgeous sci-fi movie, but this story is woof. I don't what big engineer man. Uh, so I, since then I watched the original movie and, and, and quite, uh, I love it. Uh, you know, it is beloved for a reason. And then going into this movie, I didn't really have any expectations beyond like thinking that Prometheus was gorgeous and that I'd, you know, it introduced me to this, you know, fantastic historic horror film that I, uh, you know, you know, super loved at that moment and then went into covenant and was just kind of blown away about how efficient it is. And then that may not be like the highest praise, but this isn't the, you know, this isn't the best movie that came out in 2017. I would never tell anyone that. But when I think about the movie that like immediately just amped up my blood pressure, but did it in a way that I felt was not deceitful. Like it just felt like hard work that paid off and that felt uh, incredibly rewarding. Uh, I, I really just like, you know, everyone linking media that was made this year to the events around this year. But like, it, it was just really nice to have ruthless efficiency <laughs> uh, in a project um, and really feel every inch of it. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, you, you were too off on Prometheus, right? Like you, you kind of appreciate it a little bit, I think. Yeah, I also didn't have, I had more context, but not as much as, you know, most of the world. And I liked Prometheus more than most people, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, was, you know, I had weird performances, let's say, from um, Logan Marshall Green, I think it is, as like the the bro scientist of that film. Yeah, just Elba is also there. <laughs> yeah, and like a really confusing. Yeah, it's very bizarre. I actually watched uh, Paradise, which was a fan fan edit of Prometheus and Alien Covenant that kind of gets rid of a lot of the narrative um, garbage. I'd be really interested in that. Yeah, I recommend people check that out because I think uh, the way that it it kind of jumps back and forth between movies in a really fascinating way and kind of clears up, um, you know, some of the narr- narrative garbage. But uh, I think Covenant is a really fascinating redirect, even though Ridley Scott clearly had his hand, you know, he directed Prometheus, but I think I think he has a hand in all the storytelling surrounding uh, these alien prequels that he's doing. He has one more coming up, and I, it really felt like to me that Covenant was just. Either he had this vision and knew that he'd have to get through the rough work of Prometheus for some reason to get to here, or maybe it's just that we always love a dark middle chapter. You know, it's it's funny, like Michael Fassbender, who who gives two really fantastic performances in this. Like it, that's what everyone says, and it's because it's true. <laughs> it's, uh, I, I will say that, like, I think the flute scene is definitely one of the best uh, scenes I've seen in a movie this year. Like, I, I can. I don't think that's an understatement. I think that's just true. I think uh, even if you find stunning. it funny, yeah, I can think it works as a humorous level. It works in an erotic level. It works uh, as like a tension building thriller level. I think it uh, it puts that movie's best foot, which is Fassbender himself, forward uh, two times at the same time. And at the same time, it is also you know um, you know garish and uh, you know headstrong in the way that which is why a lot of people didn't like it. I totally understand, but I thought it was just 
it was effective and relentless because it had it's such a great cast also uh you know if you hate the disaster artist the first minutes of this movie is just james franco catching on fire um which also just felt like a strange gift to give people like this movie was just like filled with fan service that you didn't even know existed like oh i didn't know that i needed to see franco catch on fire and then michael fassbender kiss himself yeah. you know but I, i'm here for it it's both these movies especially this one are just so out there and weird in ways that don't totally that kind of hamstring the movie not hamstring but like might hurt the movie as a whole and definitely on a popular level when it comes to the box office returns but right. make them both some the more fascinating like more fascinating movies of the last couple of years that I really gravitate towards because they're so I don't know. They take they they are actually daring in certain ways and uh, going for certain kind of I guess I don't want to say posthumanist because I don't know what posthumanism actually is, but <laughs> we'll say these terms. We'll <laughs> uh, Exploring these yeah, I mean, areas in ways I really enjoy. You know, there's that old dissolve article about uh, that Godzilla reboot. Um, and how that film kind of just put humans to the side in interest of telling a larger tale. Yeah. Uh, you aren't really meant to care about the people and that, yeah, that you certainly feel like on some level it's, you're meant to go through covenant understanding that these are all familiar pieces. And I think, you know, a lot of the negative reviews are like, oh, you know, another alien franchise that we never, you know, another piece of this puzzle that we never asked for. Uh, and I think that's totally understandable, especially when you consider Alien's long history in other franchises. I mean, you know, uh, after the first film, it became something to sell, became video games, it became Alien versus Predator, it became, you know, just uh, really branched out in a way that I think when people think of Alien, they just think of it all together, you know? Like, I don't think of Alien versus Predator as part of what I saw on screen in Alien Covenant, but I think it's really easy to get exhausted just by the sheer weight of it. I think like, you know, recently speaking, hey, I'm going to boost your SEO right there. You can put The Last Jedi in the tag Ooh. of this. Uh, you know, I think, you know, some people have problems with that for the same reason. Um, there's like, oh, it's hard to care anymore. But Catherine Watterson, I think like did a really fantastic, uh, I know that she's just like the piece that has to be there. You have to have like the spry young woman who, you know, def- fights out the monster in an alien movie because that's what happens. But I think she was um, a lot better than uh, Nomi uh, Rapace, and in, 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 uh, I did. I just butchered her last name, but um, in Prometheus, there's just a, a lot to love about the movie. She has to do a lot. Of, I feel like she has to do a lot of reacting in this movie, and there are these warring sentiments of Catherine Waterston is really good in this movie, but also why is there not more Catherine Waterston in this movie? Uh, and I think I think it was really a victim of expectations a lot, um, mm-hmm. and. Another thing is Ridley Scott does obviously Ridley Scott, even though he's an old old man, uh, impressively old, is still works a lot. He's got a movie coming out right now, basically, in which he right. you know he reshot at like replaced Kevin Spacey with Christopher. He this man works hard. He works a lot, and but he seems really attached to the Alien franchise. And I think where some of his other work can seem very uh, workmanlike, uh, it really seems like he's trying to dive into some shit here with the alien movies. It's really trying to mine something. 
and he, yeah, and he's trying to redirect it um, in a way. Whereas, like the you know the first Alien films, there were you know there's just been a lot of writing from people who are far more intelligent than you and I about um, the, the sexuality, about the metaphors in Alien, et cetera, et cetera. None of that comes into play with these films, and I think that's disappointed a lot of people who are you know saw it as either a message of you know against rape or female empowerment or so on and so forth. And these movies kind of sidestep that and start talking about creation. And I think that probably feels pretty weighty for a lot of people for what's ultimately just a slasher film. Also, I just want to say that body horror films don't get this level of production ever, really. I mean, I think horror is having a a great moment, right? Like uh, year after year, Uh, but something on this scale and something that looks this good and and, and is that great. Like if you love sci-fi and you love horror, there really isn't anything being built quite like this and quite on this scale. Um, And it's something I enjoy quite a bit. It's one of many movies this year where I watched it and thought, I don't know why they thought it was a good idea to put this much money into this movie, but it is all on the screen. And I'm really glad they did. Uh, Along with like Blade Runner is another example. Right. Yeah. And I feel like those, these two are intimately connected, not just because of Ridley Scott's creation of the original films that they're derived from, but also because uh, they start changing what their original films were even about, right? And do it in a really articulate way. You know, you can you can hate the David and Walter storyline of Alien Covenant, but I think that having the same conversation about aliens invading people's bodies gets old after a while and, and subverting that and going like, well, yeah, let's talk about the very idea of biology and creation. Uh, you know, it's ambitious. Uh, you know, I get why it hasn't been successful, but at least it's different. Um, in the same way you know, the new Blade Runner ended up not being about, you know, Gosling as the savior child, you know, and kind of subverting the hero's journey in that way. And that was um, also very appreciated uh, in that regard. I almost wish that that film had gone even further in that way. And I feel like that's why Alien Covenant's complete disregard of every human being in it gives it the freedom to do something completely different. Yes. And even if it isn't my I don't know where it'll rank on my end of the year list, but even if it, I don't, I don't think it is as good as many more straightforward blockbusters. I maybe Mm -hmm. it's in terms of movies, I'm most glad were made and that I got to see this year. It's very high on that list just because it is a daring blockbuster. And, and I do, I just want to press the people. I'm not, I've never seen alien versus predator. I've never even seen, uh, the Joss Whedon alien four. I think that's okay. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, so I'm not like an alien fan. This is this is not something I expected to happen. I do not expect to fall in love with Alien Covenant. Like that was not, not I didn't expect that I'd be watching the director's commentary to discuss this with you this year. That's not where I saw this going. Um, there were a lot of really good movies that are a lot better than this movie. I think this is the, just the one that kind of took me out of my body for a little bit and really put me in a place of terror and fear and contemplation uh, that I just wasn't expecting. So I think... You know, it has a lot to do with expectations, as you said. So, Kyle, we have uh, maybe gone a little beyond our 10-minute mark, but that's because it is a fascinating movie. Do you have any final points about Alien Covenant that you'd like to make? Uh, no. You know, I, <laughs> you want to see it? Go see it. It's cheap. <laughs> it's pretty cheap to find. So, uh, you know, at least, at least it's accessible. Yeah. So. It's true. Alien Covenant is either a ten minute, a ten second conversation, or a thirty minute conversation. It's, it's one of those two. <laughs> All right, Kyle. Well, thanks so much for joining us again, and we look forward to having you on again in the brand new year.
said almost nothing in this episode as I steamrolled the entire thing. We didn't really have much to say because we've never seen it before. At first first glance, it looks like a film about a giant pig, so... It's so I good. mean, like, I'm into it. She's such a good pig. <laughs> I just know it'll pig. make me sad. I don't know. Every, yeah. every movie that Tyler wants me to watch, I have to, like, emotionally prepare for I don't her. Know what are you talking about? That's ridiculous. Look at her. Look how good this pig is. It doesn't really look like a pig, I gotta be honest. She's a super pig. She's kind of like a weird dog. She's a super pig. She's so good. Well, she acts like a dog. I'd say she kind of just looks like a weird dog. It's clearly a pig. (laughs) I mean, like, body, yes, but that face is weird dog all the way. She's so good. She's a very good girl.